Welcome to the Conformance Cast. It's episode four, a new audit. It's a period of civil war. Rebel spaceships striking from a hidden base have won uh -huh. their first victory against the evil Galactic Empire. Whoa, 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 John, John, John. That's not the episode we're looking for. What? Yeah, yeah, that's our other podcast, man. Save that one for that uh, one. Uh, we're doing, this is episode four of the Conformance Cast. We're doing all about that audit, focus on improvement not deficiencies. And over these past three episodes, as we move into our final episode, we've covered the concepts of the audit, the planning and preparation to perform that audit, and how to select the right auditor. Today, we're going to go over those audit results, that report, and the follow-up. I'm Matt McCutcheon, your host, and I'm joined again by AWPT instructor and ISO 17065 and product certification expert, John Furman. Thanks for being here, John. Yeah, thanks, Matt. I thought we were going to be talking about the Death Star, but okay. I know. I guess... It would be a great conversation. <laughs> I could talk for hours about Star Wars. Definitely. I'm a Star Wars geek, uh, comic book geek. So looking forward to that new Batman movie that's going to be coming out. But let's talk about an audit. Kind yeah. of like the Dark Knight. You know, we got to <laughs> do some criminal investigation almost. Not right, criminal, right. but an investigation into the processes and the standards that are being performed. So you're the auditor. You've gone through your audit. You've reviewed things. You've looked at all the documents. You've reviewed these tasks that people complete on a regular basis. And now you're going to report on those findings. What exactly goes into the report? Because there's a lot of information that you yourself have digested and you've got to turn around and spit back out to the company that you're auditing. So there's the ISO standards that we work with. They basically say that the results of the audit need to be reported, that the records of the internal audit activity, uh, records of the findings need to be retained. Aside from that, it doesn't give us a whole lot of guidance on what an audit report needs to include or needs to involve. As kind of a best practice, or at least what I've done in my experience and kind of how I've been trained, you want to kind of restate what the purpose of the audit was, what the scope of the audit was, okay. details, who was involved in the audit, what days did it take place. If you looked at specific projects, maybe you want to list that, like an index of these were the records that were reviewed and mm -hmm. observed, etc. And then if, if you're doing the assessment to fulfill certain requirements, you're meeting your own requirements for internal audits or maybe it's accreditation requirements as well. You know, you would include all of that in kind of like an introduction. Uh, you could break it out into different sections before you get into findings and observations and opportunities for improvement kind of that like, you might have. You know, big corporations keep minutes on their meetings so that they can look back at that that meeting and say, this is what we covered in this meeting. So you're kind of doing that with this is what we've covered in you know the audit. This is what I looked at, this is what I found. Right. You know, and going through and putting all that into obviously a much more detailed uh, report than just a minutes of like at nine fifty two we talked about code or something like that yeah into the nitty-gritty details of that okay all right yeah so i think like the burden of proof the, the records requirements are going to be pretty high you want to make sure that anybody that's kind of picking up from where you left off that they have all the information they need to retrace your steps that kind of stuff's captured a number of times throughout the audit process but yeah you want to capture that again in the audit report and again that's just the best practice the iso standards don't necessarily say that needs to be there but i i think it's good to include then along with that you're going to note obviously what you found there are suspected deficiencies you might allude to what those individual issues are, what the some of the criteria was. You wouldn't necessarily include the deficiency statements in that description yet, but you would kind of summarize what the findings were. It's very important to always kind of include a positive feedback about, you know, what did the organization mm -hmm. do really well? The audit can be a little bit of a traumatic experience, right? I mean, we talked yeah. about that throughout this whole series that it causes a lot of stress. So I think, you know, people feel good hearing what they're good at. So yeah, yeah that they're doing a good job and that there's just a little area of improvement right, that you need to right. work on. 
if you can can include some genuine praise, I think that that goes a long way. But then, you know, from there, uh, you might have it in a separate section of the report, or you may have it in a separate document, but you're going to detail the specifics of those findings. So whether you're going to call them findings, deficiencies, nonconformances, NCs, and that is going to indicate that what you observed during the audit, in what areas, what pieces of criteria were found to be nonconforming. So did you see a record that didn't comply with X requirement? Did you see evidence that a process wasn't followed? Is a particular piece of hardware not meet the spec that's involved in the testing activity? So you know, it, it could be any number of those things. That's going to be there. And I think for a lot of people, when they undergo an audit, that's really what they want to get to. You yeah. Know? They the want to get to the matter yeah, that's meat like, potatoes. Cut out all the fluff yeah. and just give me what I'm doing wrong. Yeah. And that's good and everything. I've been in that position, certainly as a quality manager. You kind of want to get through the audit process, figure out what are my problems? What do I need to work with? What's my deadline for that? And then kind of go from there. So yeah, the lab is mostly going to be uh, interested in that. I think that there's a lot that can be done to kind of pull a little bit more value out of that. You know, don't minimize the corrective action process, don't minimize those findings. Those are you know, some of your best opportunities to really enhance and improve your system. Look to it enthusiastically mm-hmm. and really let your mind run wild with what you can do with that information. Reiterating to the organization that you're doing good things and not just saying all of the bad things is a good step because I think that gives the organization that positive reinforcement to look at these deficiencies, non-conformities or problems in not that dark light, but in a nice, bright, positive light. They're like, oh, okay, this is what we've got to work on and correct and take care of to be better, rather than looking at it like, oh, this is what we're doing wrong. Oh my goodness, we got to do all this. Giving them that feedback saying, hey, you're doing a good job at this stuff, but there's just this little area of improvement you need to look on. I think that leads to those soft skills again, where Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you really make that personal connection between somebody and you let them know that, hey, you're doing a good job. There's just some things that need to be covered that you got to work on a little bit. And this is just going to make you and the organization a better worker and providing a better quality service or product in the long run. Now, when you get to finally review all these reports and stuff, I can imagine that this final meeting, when you're sitting down with the people that are involved in the audit in the organization, it's a very tense almost dramatic situation. (laughs) Probably when you walk in, almost like, dun-dun-dun, you know, I'm a little law and order as you walk into the room to report these findings. It's high stress. How are you going to cut through that tension? Do you like to crack jokes, you know, to loosen the room up, maybe just get in there and start having a casual conversation before getting into the nitty-gritty details? Hopefully you can predict that tension before the closing meeting, right? Okay. And so, you know, maybe you pick up on it when you first go to the lab, working with the folks that you can kind of just sense that there's a lot of stress and frustration about what's going on. And then kind of the, some of the soft skills that we talked about in the previous episodes, you, you just want to chip away at that over time. I think finding commonalities with the lab, seeing parallels in the work that you used to do with what they're doing, and just kind of letting them know that, hey, you've been in their shoes before, letting them know that you're interested in performing the assessment and citing these issues in ways that will lead to credible value and improvement for them. Okay. You want to kind of do away with the concept that you're kind of like a police officer pulling them over for some, you know, <laughs> ridiculous reason that, yeah, it's a technical, technically it's a, it's an issue. But, but your heart is racing. Right, the adrenaline yeah. level is increased. Yeah. Try to appeal to them in that way over time. But I think the best you can do is just kind of make eye contact, be assertive. Definitely. You don't want to become defensive as a response to their apparent defensiveness. Gotcha. Uh, otherwise, yeah, then that'll just then be you're, bad. You're going to kind of like butt heads in that situation. Right. I'm defensive, you're defensive, and nothing productive or constructive is going to get finished. Right. What I suggest as an auditor, 
you want to err on the side of caution. You want to really confirm for sure that when you think you have a finding, explore that by all angles. Just make sure that you understand 100%, no doubt that what you have is non-conforming evidence. But then you also kind of understand what the angle of that. Is this stemming from a procedure? Is this a record issue? Is this a, a practice that's up and running, but people just aren't doing it very well? Knowing what angle to go at it, you're going to be able to describe the nonconformity better. They should probably be more receptive to it. And I always promote, you need to let folks know kind of along the way what you're seeing, what you think might be a finding, get their buy-in and get kind of consensus uh, as you go through the process. Because yeah, you want to- almost make it like they are the ones that have discovered, you know, this be like, hey, what is, what is this? You know, you're asking a question to pinpoint that nonconformity or deficiency, but letting them explain it to you so that you can see why from their perspective, I guess, as to what's going on. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, I've been in lots of meetings uh, as a quality manager where somebody writes something up and it's 80% accurate, but it's not targeted the right way. There are just certain facts and details that maybe are missing, but that really kind of changes the thrust of the, the nonconformance and kind of, you know, mm-hmm. what that could mean for us. So I would say, A, if you're performing audits, take your time work with folks, make sure that you have their buy-in and engage with them in terms of the language that you use to describe those deficiencies. But also, when you're being audited, really advocate for yourself, speak up, make sure that those points are being represented clearly okay. and accurately. That you makes know, a lot of sense. <laughs> it's not always, you know, I mean, hopefully your auditor is experienced and kind of knows to attack it that way, but you might end up with an auditor who's green or who's maybe they're not very good at writing deficiency statements. And so you get these very outlandish statements or broad statements that really don't describe what's going on Mm -hmm. and it doesn't leave you with anything. So maximize the value out of that. Make sure that everything's one-to-one, apples to apples, it's described properly and it's going to be able to lead you to a meaningful corrective action Okay. as opposed to just kind of, we answer their stuff and oh, we should be good, blah, blah, blah. You want to make sure that there's value to get out of that. By presenting that information so that not just you understand it, but everybody, somebody else who comes from behind you, like say you're not auditing that organization the following year, somebody else is coming in and doing that. They'll be able to look at your pre audit and they'll understand all the information that you presented to them rather than be like, well, I kind of get this, like you said, 80% accurate. I'm missing 20%. I'm not really sure about what's happening. Yeah, exactly. And especially when you're a QA person or when you're managing the audit, you're going to be assigning those corrective actions to other people. If any context is missing, it could really impede their ability to respond well. You're you're making sure that the auditors write uh, well-written deficiencies. The deficiency statement should identify what the issue was, where it was discovered, where it was identified. Was it found in lab? X during a review of this particular test method while speaking to so-and-so? Was it found with a particular record? What the nature of the finding was? What criteria it does not meet? Also, very importantly, where they can find that criteria. So you could say that while reviewing training records with the EMC lab, it was found that authorizations for technical competencies for test methods were not recorded per ISO 17025, 6.2, et cetera, et cetera. That will give them all four pieces of information for them to clearly understand, hey, this is what the issue is, this is what I need to comply to, and it sets them in the right direction. And you contrast that with a deficiency statement that just says, this lab doesn't have training records. You know, it's like, that's not true, because I definitely do in some cases, you know. So you need to include those specifics, otherwise it's just They might not have training records for the front desk assistant, but does the front desk assistant really need training records for an ISO IEC audit or something like that? The deficiency statements, they need to mean something. Otherwise, yeah, the, the auditor's not really helping you out. 
And we mentioned corrective action, and that's kind of a slippery slope, especially when you're doing auditing, because you are a bit handcuffed with the fact that we can't, in the position, consult right, you right. Know, the organization and tell them what they need to do. You can only, like you said earlier, point them in the right direction to that. So that's a bit of a tricky situation. What is involved in working through that corrective action process? There's a couple different elements. First, it's taking a look at the evidence, whatever the deficiency is about, and it attempts to correct that immediate issue. But then it also needs to probe deeper and kind of ask, hey, what were all the contributing factors that led us here? Okay. And, you know, depending on the finding, it could be something very simple that, hey, we forgot to get something calibrated, or it could be something systemic yeah. uh, that really kind of opens up Pandora's box and you really, you know, you realize, whoa. You have this, yeah, you have this huge. Huge effort in front of you to correct and investigate, etc. You want to correct the immediate issue, but then you want to understand what those factors were. That's done through what we commonly call uh, root cause analysis. Okay. Um, as part of root cause analysis, you know what we're doing is trying to get to the essential understanding of what all the different contributing factors were that allowed that issue to occur, that led us to a case where we could make that break, where we could deviate from our policies or procedures. And there are a couple different tools out there that you can use to explore root cause analysis. We probably talked about the fishbone method. You're dividing up different potential causes and factors mm -hmm. into different categories. And then you document them on a, like a fishbone type diagram. Yeah. One place where folks might fail with root cause analysis is that they're not looking at things broadly enough. They're not okay. considering factors might kind of pile up and stack. They're trying to and, look at just that problem, like you said, and trying to fix that problem. They're not looking at the, right. the larger scope. Yeah, they're looking at things too narrowly or it's not uncommon for the root cause analysis might be because so-and-so didn't do it. Yeah. And it's like, that's not really a, a root cause analysis. That's you're just kind of reiterating. <laughs> yeah. What, what if that person happened to be sick that day and that's why it didn't get done? Why didn't somebody step into that person's you know role and take over that for that day or something? Right. You want to make sure that you're not just simply restating what the deficiency is. So you could do it with something like Fishbone. There's the five whys. That's probably what I have the most experience with, which is kind of continuously asking, what's the origin of this? What's the origin of this? Until you get back to that sort of central kernel that is likely to have spawned and you know, originated the whatever the issue is. Mm -hmm. That's always worked well for me. You're kind of doing a little bit of archaeology and history, detective work. Dig back like, in time. Right, yeah. You're like looking at the change register and you're like, well, you know, how did our procedure ever come to say this? And you're understanding kind of the evolution of the quality system. And hopefully that gives you enough perspective to say definitively, okay, if we do this, then not only is it going to correct the issue now, but it's very likely to prevent similar issues in the future, which is the other component of corrective actions, which that's the corrective action plan itself. It's what action is being implemented to prevent recurrence. The idea, hypothetically, is that for all time, no, I don't really think that that's possible. You, you want to make sure that there's a good faith root cause analysis that leads to a corrective action that is very likely to prevent all possible recurrence. FMEA is another sort of root cause analysis methodology that you can use. In a lot of cases, it's not just a single cause. There are multiple causes that are at work. So you want to understand the dynamics between those things, how those are pulling together. And then hopefully from that, you can kind of be like, all right, this is what can be done to really stamp this out and make sure that this doesn't happen again. And improve and get that better quality. Right. So we've gone over the corrective action process now. That probably means at this point, of the auditing stage, you as the auditor have finished the auditing job. What happens once you've given this final report? What What is some follow-up that you would do to make sure that they have implemented these corrective actions and are moving forward with 
trying to rid themselves of these nonconformities or deficiencies. So most likely, as the auditor, you're probably going to be done at the report phase or at the reviewing of the corrective action plans and implementation. After that, then it kind of falls back on the organization to monitor the effectiveness of those corrective actions. Okay. So typically what they're doing is they make a plan to go back and do a follow-up audit and take a look to see, hey, are we having any similar cases, similar faults in the system? And then that would be a way to say whether or not the corrective action was effective. Not a whole lot of guidance in the ISO standards for this, so it's kind of for the individual organization to determine what they want to do. Okay. Uh, for me, I would kind of eyeball, as a rule, I would say 90 days on most things. But if there was a big systemic issue and I wanted to have a wider sample size, I might say, okay, we'll, we'll look at this in 120 days. Um, you can kind of tailor it to the issue that you're dealing with. That's a really big part is just kind of going back and making sure that that gets done. Now, the auditor is not necessarily concerned with that, but whoever is going to do the audit next they would probably be concerned with that. Want to look at that follow-up and right. see what they've done to yeah. ensure as they move into a new audit that they're not trying to re-review previous problems or looking for those problems. They're like, are these problems still you know, persistent? Are they still uh, happening and stuff like that? And it, this goes back to something you had said in an earlier episode where a lot of organizations have these auditing programs in-house. So it's probably a good idea having that stuff in-house, having the auditor as a part of your organization to be there to do this follow up, whereas independent third party organization that you're relying on to come in and do this, they'll do their job and they'll get the audit and everything for you. But you may, as organization, kind of fall off in the follow up because you don't have somebody specifically designated in your organization right. to do that stuff. So the next audit, you may still see some of these non-conformances and deficiencies that you had in a previous audit. Yeah, most organizations out there are going to be probably conducting it with in internal resources, but for those that use third parties or consultants, whatever, there could be like a loss in continuity, right? That's definitely something to consider. Kind of going back to what we were saying earlier about including all the details in the audit report mm -hmm. to be able to refacilitate the audit if necessary. That audit report is really, it's kind of a past is prelude kind of deal where ideally whoever comes in to do that next audit, they should be looking at those findings. They want to begin their audit planning, their, the development of their audit program based around those. You know, obviously they're going to okay. need to go back and check in to make sure independently verify, okay, all the previous findings were closed. But based on what was reviewed and sampled as part of the previous audit, that's going to factor into the audit plan. That'll kind of give them their, their starting point for that next audit. Yeah. Like, all right, this is the stuff I'm going to look at first because this is where we had issues before, I want to make sure that we have these issues resolved and now I can further dive into are any other issues occurring or is this check, you guys are great, your audit, you're off to a, a fantastic start, keep mm -hmm. up the good work. If you think of any ways to improve, next time I'm here, make sure to let me know because I would love to pass this information on because you guys are doing a fantastic job, so on and so forth. Yeah. That's going to tell you what the previous auditor looked at. You're going to be able to kind of weigh the risks involved in those activities, and you're going to be able to say, okay, well, in the past several audits, these folks have never had a, an issue with document control, software validate, you know, anything, whatever. Yeah, yeah. You might say, like, okay, I don't need to spend a lot of time on that. Gotcha. You know, the, the risk is proven to be very low with that. I'm not worried about spending more than 20, 30 minutes kind of talking Still about it. Still going to look at it, but right. it's not my central focus because yeah. consistently through the years you have done uh, a good job at that aspect of the right, audit. Right, yeah. Use all that different thinking, all those different inputs into kind of designing what that plan would look like beyond just kind of, you know, getting through the audit, beyond, uh, you know, addressing the, the corrective actions. I think that some organizations might sell themselves short when it comes to corrective actions where they're just interested in kind of closing them out, getting back to their everyday operation, which is fine. Completely
completely respectable. Mm-hmm. Labs are businesses and they need to survive, etc. It's a really good opportunity to kind of develop and promote the quality system, bring folks into the process, get buy-in, make sure that you're hearing a lot of diverse ideas on how to, to uh, address issues. Involve the rest of your organization, the people that are working with this system on the regular basis. Yeah. For two things. One, it gets people invested, especially young people at your organization. You know, they're going to be taking this stuff very seriously. They're going to be thrilled with the opportunity to insert themselves in this process, become involved with ISO compliance, etc. Yeah, yeah. It's going to make people more literate. They're going to know the the terminology better. They're going to be able to speak about the quality system better. But also for you, it's going to spread the burden. You can involve other people in the process so they can assist with the root cause analysis. They can assist with the initial containment of the issue, okay. uh, all those sorts of things. So I I would really kind of promote it. It's a it's a big moment to expand the value of the quality system internally. Oh, um, that's a really good thought. Yeah. Instead of kind of being like, oh, you know, at the end of this, every assessment, we got to do this. It's just this thing we got to do. And like, whatever, we're going to submit our stuff to the agency and they're going to say whatever. And, you know, we'll get it closed out and then we'll be good for two years. Yeah. You know, really seize that opportunity to energize staff, raise awareness about your quality system. And I mean, I think that all those things over time, it's just going to improve to better audit results. And like you said earlier, you know, a newer employee, somebody that's young, just getting into the industry, having this opportunity to be in on this audit and work on the audit, being a part of it, gives them some really good insider knowledge. As they say, they'll have a much better uh, clearly defined understanding Mm -hmm. of an audit and of the quality system that they're working in. They'll see parts of the quality system that may not be part of their job description, but it has a little bit of correlation to what they're doing. Like, oh, that makes sense why they do that. And I do this. It gives them that almost an eye-opening experience that, aha, clicks in their brain as to why there's all these standards and these policies and these procedures you know, in place to do the service and to make the goods and stuff like that so that that quality at the end for the customer is the best it can be. Yeah, just kind of tying back into the the beginning of this series, I think by doing that, you're going to absolutely cut down on the the nervousness, the apprehension, fear about going into audits. If everybody's kind of, they're aware of the process, they they know how it works, they're familiar with the vocabulary, it's just going to be a very kind of like peaceful exchange Mm -hmm. rather than this tense moment where, you know... You're freaking out about things. You're like, I don't know what's going on. They're going to be so mad at me for things. I don't know. What are they going to be mad at me for? Right, right. Yeah, it's not like some poker game where the auditor like ups the ante and I'm like, oh man, you know, it's, it's not like that. You know, it, it's, it's really a conversation about the criteria, how your organization makes use of it, how you uh, demonstrate that it can be, and it ought to be a good calm experience that hopefully everybody gets something out of it. The auditor for them, they're going to be seeing another iteration of this uh, management system. They get to add that to their experience. Other people, you know, that'll have been their first auditing experience. It might result in them expanding activities. That's going to be a cool notch, a cool merit badge, I guess. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, to to go through drawing on just on some of these different ideas that we've talked about over the past several weeks. It should improve the audit experience, but hopefully, it just make it more valuable, right? You don't want the audit. You don't want accreditation. You don't want these things just to be like something that you have to do. Have to do, yeah. Hopefully, you want it's a reason in, for doing. Yeah. Hopefully, it's enhancing things internally for you and your staff. It's promoting things for your client that we're all getting something out of it, as opposed to just kind of going through the you know going go, through the motions. Exactly. As they say. Yeah. Right. Well, John, thank you so much for joining me and talking about auditing. It has been a very, very eye-opening lesson for myself, uh, learning about auditing and how this works. And I think it's eased my mind 
even with taxes coming up and uh, there's a potential of being audited for that, I think I feel a little bit more comfortable with knowing what an audit is and what is going on. So that is fantastic. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I've really enjoyed our conversations here. I hope that maybe we can have another conversation on a different topic here yeah, definitely. on the Conformance Cast. I do want to just kind of mention, plug the uh, upcoming Tech Forum. Oh, that's right. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm going to be doing a talk specifically on corrective actions, how to get the most mileage out of those. For anybody out there that's listening that is going to be at TIFO, definitely try to attend that if you're able to. Uh, it should be a good discussion. Yeah, and Tech Forum is going to be happening April 3rd to the 6th in Chantilly, Virginia at the Westfields Marriott. Make sure you check that out and come on out and check out John's presentation. Thanks for listening to Series 5, all about that audit. Focus on improvements, not deficiencies. And stay tuned for the next series of the Conformance Cast.